Hi, welcome back to our Culture Hacker podcast. I'm your host, Shane Green. It's great to have you here today. Uh, Please reach out to us at shanegreen.com. Remember, I'm the author of the book, Culture Hacker, where we talk all about reprogramming the employee experience, not only for better customer satisfaction, but also to focus on improved uh, performance and in the bottom line, profitability. Today I'm really excited because we're going to talk about how culture impacts creativity and we've got one of the best in the business. I'm very excited to introduce Mauro Porcini uh, from PepsiCo. He is the chief design officer, actually the first one they've ever had, where he oversees design-led innovation across all the company's brands, brands that you know very well. I think they have about 22 brands that generate more than $1 billion, whether it's from Pepsi, Gatorade. Quaker Oats, Doritos, Tostitos, Lay's, Aquafina, Cavita, you name it, they've got it. Mauro, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to uh, finally get you on our podcast. <laughs> thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So listen, let's start with this idea, design-led or design-driven innovation. What does that mean uh, within your organization and, and how you approach uh, uh, business every day? Well, it's all about deeply understanding people and therefore society, understanding their needs and then their wants, their dreams, their aspirations, and then translating those insights into solutions um, that become experiences for people. And therefore, it's really about touching every, uh, and designing every touch point of the brand, from the product to the packaging to the experience when you buy it, in hospitality, in retail, all the way to when you use it at home, on the go, in public spaces. And then in our case, all the different activations of our brand, uh, from the music platform to the sport platform, uh, design, fashion, art, and so on and so forth. It's all about creating positive moments in the life of people, uh, moments that could be moments of fun, of convenience, of health or safety, depending on the category you play in mm-hmm. uh, and the products that you touch and design. And these little moments in the life of people, I like to define them as fragments of a broader social happiness. And so if as designers we innovate by creating something that is positive, that is more sustainable from a um, ecological standpoint, from a visual standpoint, from a social standpoint, and from a emotional standpoint, then we have really the beautiful opportunity to create a better, happier world. And that's what design-led innovation is for me today. It's a way to serve our companies, to create business, but also a way to build a better world to live in. I I love it. Now, you thought there, it's about a focus on people and experiences. And while that's on a customer base, how important is it for you to focus on your people internally and the experience of them coming to work every day? How important is that in a creative design-led organization that you have? It's everything. It's really everything. Uh, you know, I, for many, many years, I wanted to build a new culture of innovation in big multinational corporations. Before PepsiCo, I, I, I worked for 3M, you know, this big Minnesota uh, uh, technology-driven company and for 10 years. And uh, already back then, I was trying to figure out what is design-driven innovation. What is innovation even before being design-driven? And I started to study all kinds of processes and frameworks, the way of driving innovation in companies very different from one another. Marketing-driven companies, technology-driven companies, design-driven companies. And then I found out, I found out something, that uh, 
it's not about the processes. It's all about people. The processes are like, you know, it's like a pen or a brush. Put that pen or that brush in the hands of Picasso or Michelangelo or put it in the hand of somebody that's not able to draw or, you know, or a kid. The output will be very, very different. And I believe in this so much that I wrote a, actually a paper for the Design Management Institute. I think it was in 2010. Uh, the title was Your Design Process is Not Enough, Hire Design Thinkers. And in, in this paper, I profile what is the design thinker, how the design thinker think, what drives him or her. And, and so people, to answer your questions, are the most important uh, variable to drive innovation in this kind of companies. Great. So listen, every company out there seems to say they want to be creative, they want to be innovative, but the reality is they just don't get there. So tell me, how have you approached, you know, you've got an established company, a massive uh, conglomerate like PepsiCo. How have you brought this creativity and design in such a large organization around these people? and sort of, in some ways, protected this pe this group of people so they can do some truly amazing work? Well, I'm, I may, may answer with, uh, you know, there are many, many different answers to, to these questions. I will give you some of the uh, answers, the potential answers. Um, first of all, uh, is about finding the best talents um, in what you do. And uh, it seems obvious, you know, you, you are practical, you want to invest in design, obviously you're going to hire the best talent. The reality is that many times these corporations, um, they, they are afraid to invest in the best talent in an area, in a function, in a culture, in a discipline that they don't master. Uh, because they don't know how to attract them, they don't know how to retain them. And so already the first step of hiring the best people you can find in a specific uh, area uh, is courageous, and mm -hmm. the clinic was really to our CEO in Ranui, and then to uh, another person very important in this transformation of PepsiCo, that is Brad Jackman, the president of Global Beverage. The two of them decided to hire, first of all, me, and then empower me to hire the best people I could find uh, around. Uh, the second step is, uh, well, more than a step is, it, it, what is very important is to be aware that you will find roadblocks. You will, you will find challenges. Uh, it won't be, everything, everything won't be easy and smooth. And therefore, you need the protection from the top. So protection from driven uh, by the CEO, by an executive at the top of the company is extremely important because the company will try to reject any change try to protect the status quo. This is not, you know, just the abstract entity of a company. This is the nature of human beings. So it's human beings, the other employees, the people in this organization that will reject um, uh, anything that is impacting the status quo. By the way, also because the status quo is the most efficient way of running things mm -hmm. uh, the most of the time. Any change implies uh, a disruption that is less efficient at the beginning eventually become efficient in time. But then one of the many mistakes that I saw happening in, in other companies in the past uh, when trying to change culture was that there was just the support from the top, the sponsorship from the top, but the body of the organization was not following. And so that was that's the third important variable is the ability to 
create partnerships in the body of the company, to find what I call the co-conspirators inside the organization that are ready to bet on the new culture you are trying to build, on the new approach you are trying to create within the company. With them, you build the proof points. You build the first quick wins. You build something that everybody else will see, and they will be like, wow, we want to be part of this. And that's really, really important. In this process, then, the fourth variable is to find as much endorsement for what you're doing as fast as possible within the organization and outside of the organization. And the biggest, the strongest endorsement that you can find is the endorsement of your customers, your clients. Uh, that has been my experience, for instance, in 3M, where Target uh, back then um, became one of the biggest endorsers for what I was doing with design within the company. So customer endorsing what you're doing is so powerful. Uh, and the company often, by seeing itself with the eyes of the customer, realize things that they, don't, they wouldn't realize without that kind of endorsement. And then endorsement from uh, media, endorsement through design awards, and anything you can find that uh, is telling the company, yes, we're doing the right thing. All of this is what I call the fluidification phase, is what you do at the beginning. And then from there, you need to transform those quick wins and proof points in sustainable business growth. That endorsement starts to spread. You start to build an organization that, is, that use processes and, uh, and, and is more stable uh, and is more integrated within the company. Uh, and so it's a process that I, ca I call then the consolidation phase that, that um, the follow uh, that initial approach. So this is one of the many answers I may give to, to your questions, but for sure it's something, uh, it's a playbook that I use at 3M and I use at Pesca and it's working very well. No, this is fantastic. So let's go in on to this talent. So you, you, I love the idea. You said you have to be courageous to get the best in the business. And so many organizations you see today are afraid of bringing these top people in because they feel that they're going to take over, that they're going to disrupt too much that's going on, that status quo that you mentioned. So tell me, you get great talent in. How do you find the best talent? Because again, is talent just about skills? Is it about attitude? Is it about personality? When you talk about great talent, what do you, what do you look for from a creative design-driven organization that you think is most important? Well, first of all, they need, I, one of the key words is curiosity. Curiosity is what drives you to um, look at anything that surrounds you with the eyes of a kid, wonder about anything, uh, notice the smallest details and give a meaning to those details that others, that others don't, don't find in, in, in those things. Curiosity is what drives you to read, to travel, uh, to listen to people, to anybody, you know, to a kid, to your assistant, to, the, to a CEO, uh, to anybody, and listen with humility being like a sponge and absorb and learn and learn and learn. I think, you know, when they ask me, where do you find inspiration, where your creativity comes from, even before, you know, my team, mine, well, it comes from within. Obviously, then you can surround yourself of an environment of people, of tools that can even amplify the kind of creativity because uh, you, you use a substrate that, they can help you amplify that, but the reality is that it all comes from within. And you need to have that kind of curiosity 
to really be able to leverage anything that surrounds you. Uh, the second is the one you mentioned earlier, is, is, is leadership, is entrepreneurship, is being courageous. Uh, and this is extremely important because innovation is by definition risky, and therefore you need to have the kind of mindset of somebody that is willing to take risks, that is ready to take risks. And, and courageous is, is connected to the idea of confidence, so the ability to be confident. Um, and the two uh, characteristics, you know, the ability to listen, you know, being curious and then listening that I mentioned earlier, and then this ability of being confident and courageous, uh, they balance also each other. Uh, by listening too much, sometimes you risk to fall in the uh, in what we call the analysis paralysis. <laughs> uh, it's very, very important to listen and then act, act on what you learn. And so the fine balance of, you know, how much to listen, how much to act is extremely important as well. Then another characteristic that I, that I discovered in the years that I had inside myself, but I, I, I saw that some of my people didn't have and I realized how important it was, is to be optimistic, to be, you know, to always see the, a glass half full. Um, I had people reporting to me that I personally hired in, in, in these years that were extraordinary designers, they were extraordinary business thinkers, um, but they were not optimistic. And so, especially when you innovate, when you try to change, and as I said earlier, when you will face all those roadblocks that are part of the change, if you don't find any roadblock, it means that you are not changing anything. So the moment you, you face them, Either you are optimistic or you're going to have problems. And this is extremely, extremely important uh, in, you know, in, in the, in, when you are trying to disrupt the culture. Then you need people that are visionary, people that immediately they, they see the big picture. Then they go back and they need to have the ability uh, with an analytical approach to reveal step by step you know, the, the path to the big picture and eventually steer the direction. But you need to have in mind the big picture. Imagine you're building a house. If you have in mind a creative house, something very different, then you will put together all the bricks to arrive you know, to the vision that you have, and you will be able to achieve something that is unbelievable. But if you instead don't have that vision and you start to build a house brick by brick, at the end of the day, you will build the usual square house, you know, rectangular house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and, and this is very important also, you know, when they ask me, where do you find all that passion and enthusiasm? And, you know, when there are so many challenges and so many uh, problems that you face every day, well, in that vision in that dream. That's what drives me every time. So that even when you lose a battle, when something goes wrong, it's just a misstep. It's a little stone in your shoe. It's something, you know, that is part of the game to arrive to that dream and the vision. And I need people to have that kind of vision and dream as well. Very cool. You know what? You've hit on some really great points. A couple I want to touch on. This curiosity. So if come, someone comes in, what do you do internally to keep your staff always open-minded, always looking? Do you create opportunities internally for learning? Do you send people out to the world? How do you get your team to constantly be open to all this amazing stimulus um, and ideas and elements that go on around us? What, what, how do you do that? How do you keep it? 
Yeah, well, first of all, obviously, you know, either you have it or you don't. But even if you don't, you can try to train and people. So if you don't have it, you try to train people, inspire people. And obviously, we try to hire the people that have that kind of instincts. And even the one that you have, as you, as you pointed out, you need to have them somehow. And, you know, in multiple ways. First of all, for instance, I'll give you a few examples. I hate for somebody to take a plane and go to a city that they never saw before, enter in a meeting, get out of the meeting, and come back to, you know, to New York or wherever they're based. I encourage them always to spend time, even if it's a few hours or one more day, to get lost in the city. Do not travel from New York to Tokyo to just do your business meetings and then come back. I need people to be curious. I need people to get excited by discovering a new city. I encourage people to read. Um, for instance, I, I often I uh, gift my leadership team with books that I really love. Uh, I gave to the entire PepsiCo design organization, to every single person, uh, the biography of Steve Jobs has been extremely inspirational for me. Um, I, I try to inspire them also um, in, by giving speeches to them, inviting other people that are inspirational to give speeches to them. So we have a variety of different opportunities, occasions uh, in the design organization, in the design center. We have town halls regularly where we share ideas. Um, personally, I try to connect with them especially with a more junior one that by definition into the project eventually wouldn't get too much in touch with me with uh, what we call the lunch with Mauro. So I go out for lunch with six or seven of them at a time. I try to do it regularly, multiple times per month, uh, try to engage direct in conversations with them. Uh, I try to do also things that are, are, um, are less expected. For instance, I was recently in a very good pizzeria here in New York City, uh, close to my apartment, and, and, and the owner told me that they do training on how to make pizza. Uh, so I'm now organizing, instead of a normal lunch, we will go to this place where we'll learn to do pizza from scratch together uh, to build a kind of uh, teamwork experience. Uh, I, there was recently the, the eclipse here in, uh, uh, in the U.S., and I asked my team, no matter, you know, whatever meeting they had, unless it was really, you know, a matter of uh, life or death, yeah. to drop it, get out, and experience it, and, and, and do it together, and, and, and just get inspired by an eclipse. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a little bit of this, and, and then I, as I said, I try to inspire them with my behavior, with what I do. And in, especially, you know, my life is totally, my professional life and my private life are totally merged. There is really no real difference. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty public in the use of social media, uh, from Instagram to Facebook and a few others. And so my life is the time. You yep. know, the food I eat, the books I read, the friends I have, the car I drive, everything. And, so, and, and I'm curious. I get, you know, I get surprised by 
Uh, one of my latest posts in Instagram is a little warm that was uh, moving over the glass of my of my car, and I made this video. And it was amazing to see the elegance of those movements and the colors, the patterns, the texture of the skin. A little, little warm that everybody sees, and probably very few people pay attention to is such a beauty. So I posted, and you know, all my team obviously follow my my social media, and so you know. By doing things, by living what I preach, I try to inspire them as well. This, this is fantastic. Uh, as I said, you're, you're obviously very passionate. Let's go to the other side, though. You know, So there's this idea of what you said before. Innovation is about taking risk. It's a little messy. Obviously, that requires us to make mistakes. There's so many companies out there that they say they want to be innovative, but they're risk averse. And why? Because they don't give their people the support or the ability or the chance to make mistakes. And if they do make a mistake, it's kind of the end of that initiative that might have gone on. How do you get your team comfortable with the idea that making mistakes is okay? And maybe talking, I mean, what happens, you know, obviously you're responsible for some massive brands. And uh, again, things don't always go perfectly. How do you react to that internally um, when something doesn't go wrong, doesn't go right? Look, I, I strongly, strongly believe in, the, in this idea that you need to enable the organization to make mistakes. Um, many journals, I mean, in many interviews they quote me in the past 10 years saying uh, how, you know, coming from an R&D company like, like 3M, I've been witnessing the R&D community doing research. Uh, and, you know, everybody knows in R&D, in the world of technology and science, that to arrive to one innovation, you need to have thousands and thousands of experiments. And it's funny that when you apply the kind of approach in the business world, in the marketing world, is they brief you and they want that innovation, but they want that innovation in six months, and you need to go, you know, smoothly straight, you know, to that good idea, launch it in the market and be successful. And if you fail, if you make a mistake, you know, often they crucify you. You know, and and so, you know, it's funny because what R and D calls experiments, marketing calls mistakes or failures. <laughs> and so we need to evolve this mindset of, especially these brand and marketing driven companies towards uh, a world where failures and mistakes are not uh, lived in a negative way. Maybe we need to call them in a different way. Let's call them experiments or prototypes or whatever you want to call them. And they're part of the game because we know that to arrive to one innovation, you need to make those experiments. It's funny because if you look at the percentage of success in innovation in, 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 in our industry, in CPG, um, actually, the percentage of failure is very high, 80-90% in the industry. Mm. So either everybody is doing everything wrong, or maybe to arrive to innovation, you need to make those experiments. It's like if R&D would measure you know, how many experiments they fail to arrive to the innovation, and they call them mistakes. <laughs> they're not mistakes. They're part of the process. Now, what is the difficulty? The difficulty is how to manage those kind of mistakes within your portfolio. Uh, and how to make sure that you don't dilute too much your uh, business results, you know, your top line, your bottom line, through those experiments. Let's not call them mistakes anymore. So that fine balance is really what is difficult. Now, 
I come from that culture where mistakes are okay. I mean, William McKnight, the great CEO of 3M for 40 years, in the 50s, uh, he, he, he shared with William Fries something, and then he said in the history of the company that mistakes need to happen. And actually, we need to go to the extreme of celebrating mistakes. So I brought this kind of approach to my team also in Mexico. And the company itself, you know, um, uh, we had few missteps here and there, obviously, as a company in the past, in the, in, in, in the recent years. And something that for me was really good to, to see was that um, the company got united around that person or that team uh, that made that mistake and protected them. And, and, and so that, and why? Because everybody was aware that if you crucify anybody that makes a mistake, you're going to paralyze thousands of other people yeah. you know, that will need to take risk in the future. So I think there is a, there is a good culture in that sense. And, and it's very important because we live in a world, in a society that is very different from the one of a few years ago. So while a few years ago you had more barriers to the ancient, less competition, and so it was very easier to drive your business, to drive your, you know, to grow your brand and produce innovation. Today, everything moves at the speed of light. There is a proliferation of new entrants, new competitors. So by definition, you need to move faster. Uh, you will need to take more risk and you will make more mistakes or experiments. And so you need a culture able to protect people from that. I love the idea, uh, again, sharing that out there about, uh, again, let's focus on more experiments out there. Let's go back to, uh, you talked a little bit about social media before, so I'm just interested, communication such an important element within an organization. Um, how do you communicate to a team that obviously is out there in the world that uh, uh, is touching a lot of different moving parts? Um, how have you found it effectively communicating with this highly creative group of people, this dispersed workforce that is out there in the world experimenting, showing off, and, and obviously taking care of clients. What's the best way? What, where do you think communication is going in the future for the effectiveness internally to keep people inspired and focused and up-to-date with what's going on? Well, it's not easy, obviously, and that's why I guess you're asking. <laughs> um, it all starts with sharing a dream. Uh, I... You know, I, I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of the people that decided to join PepsiCo in this journey, they decided to, to, to join the company because they understood there was a dream, a vision of myself, of our CEO in Ranui, and, 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 and other executives um, to really evolve this company and leverage design to do things differently. It's a vision applied to the company. So the first dream is the dream of evolving the company and, and preparing the company for the future. It's a vision also that transcends uh, PepsiCo. It's a vision of a bunch of designers that are trying to position design in this big organization in a different way uh, to then help all of the designers. And so I'm very generous, as generous as I can, uh, with other uh, chief design officers or design leaders that are starting a similar journey in the company because I want all of them to succeed. I want, you know, design to play a different role in the world of business. So this, this vision, and, and then finally, sorry, you know, the third leg is, is trying to leverage design to create something 
uh, better, a better society, something better in the world. You know, what I said at the beginning of our conversation today, we have the tools, you know, the strategic thinking plus the ability to do things, to act, uh, to really be the better world. If we are all united, all designers are united around uh, their vision and the dream. So, you know, the first way of engaging everybody in the organization across the world is to share their dream. Now, then that's the dream. Then you need to communicate it as much as possible. And, and we do it in multiple ways. The, the strongest way, the best way is to let people travel. So uh, we have, for instance, in, um, in, uh, in December, November, December, usually our CEO Indra hosts an annual dinner, uh, and we invite all the designers from all around the world. They come here in New York, and we and on top of the dinner, then we have an entire week that is an inspirational week. We're all together. We share strategies. We have fun time together. So the physical contact is very important. I try to travel as much as possible. I encourage my team to travel to the different teams around the world. And then using platform like the social media platform, both I mentioned my personal effort to do that. And, you know, I share a lot of our uh, work as well and what we do in the company and this is a way for people to get connected and stay connected and stay inspired and then I we have uh, the uh, our design organization internet site and we have our design technical design center Instagram account and also through uh, those platforms we engage with our own internal employees and we try to uh, keep them always inspired Great. And, and then we have regular, regular communications, obviously, you know, we, we, we are equipped with telepresence in every room. We have town halls regularly. Everybody connects to those town halls. So there is a lot of sharing and connecting. I love the fact that you're using so many mediums. I, I come across so many executive CEOs that talk about social media and they're a little scared to get onto social media. And I think, you know, one of the things is you have to be committed to it. Any advice out there to executives as they, as they get started on social media as a way or at least one of the mediums to communicate out to their people about viewpoints or that? Are there any lessons you've learned along the way that's helped make this more effective? You know, it's funny because I, I just answered this question in a in an interview uh, from my own organization, from my own company, and the, for me was was impressive that I realized something like this. Essentially, um, our HR team um, in, did an interview to me on personal branding, and our personal branding can actually be a value for employees in the company. This is very visionary because often companies personal branding like you know you don't you don't want to leverage the resources of the organization to uh, nurture your brand and eventually live in the future not understanding you know but that vision is so wrong and it's so old uh, by nurturing your personal brand you're adding so much value to the company is a you know win-win situation and, and so one of the you know so the, the first message I want to share is companies corporation please encourage your people to nurture their personal branding, because through their personal branding, they can attract more talent, they can inspire internal employees, they can do so many things, that add, they can attract partners. 
So they can do so much to really um, help the organization in, in, in a variety of different ways. Now, uh, you know, back to your question, uh, the first thing is choose the social media that is closer to your inclination, to who you are. For instance, I love photography. Since I was a kid, I was taking my bike and going everywhere and taking pictures of everything. And so when Instagram was invented, I found my ideal platform to communicate. But if you're good, you know, maybe you prefer to use Twitter or, or Snapchat. So it's very important that you understand what is natural for you. Uh, then the key word is authenticity. Uh, is having a point of view on things, on anything, and then in an authentic way, sharing that point of view. And, uh, so, you know, something that I shared also in that interview is, is that it's not about having an extraordinary life to share, but it's about having an extraordinary point of view on life that you want to share. And so if you do that, then also a little warm that is walking over your car becomes something extraordinary that you may share. Uh, anything becomes, you know, interesting if you have a point of view on what you're seeing around you. And therefore, the other keyword is the one we mentioned earlier is curiosity. So you need to be curious so that you can, have, you know, you can um, leverage anything that's around you to communicate a message with a very clear point of view that needs to be as authentic as possible. I love it. There's some great things, and I urge all our listeners out there to please follow Mauro uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, again, just from some great points of view, but uh, there's some pretty cool pictures out there as well. Mauro, listen, you've given us some great insights to think about. Any final advice out there? And as I said, I go back to if you are a senior executive of a, an organization where creativity, it, 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 you've recognized that it's critical to what you're doing moving forward. Anything, uh, you know, culturally, you've covered so many points, but if you had to say, where, where do you, you kind of recharge, you know, inspire, where do you focus all your energy on as you start to get this creative element coming out of your people? Final advice. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I may repeat myself, but the, for me, the most important thing, the bottom line is to have a dream. Live it 24-7 is your work, is your life, and therefore you will sound authentic. People will just feel it. You enter a room, if you believe in what you're doing, and you, it's not about just preaching it, but it's about acting on it, and you do it continuously in everything, from your body language to your dress code to your lifestyle to anything you do in business in your current life, People will just feel it and get inspired by that. That's for me the most important thing. They will just follow you if you have a dream that is engaging, that is shareable by others, uh, and and that is creating value for your organization. That's awesome. And I can give you a compliment as well. And again, you said it earlier. It is so important as executives out there that you align your professional and personal lives together so that your passions, your love, your focus and everything you do um, really starts to shine. And certainly, Mauro, you're someone that uh, is a really amazing example of someone who's brought these worlds together in a very impactful way and is obviously making a huge, huge difference. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, listen, everybody out there listening, please follow Mauro on Instagram. Get him on Twitter. There's some really great articles and that out there. There's some just really cool things from his time at 3M through to what he's doing now at PepsiCo. And, and again, the focus is on creating the type of culture where creativity, innovation is coming out. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Remember to check me out at ShaneGreen.com. Pick up my book, Culture Hacker, if you like some of the ideas that we've talked about. And remember, don't be afraid to reach out. Connect at ShaneGreen.com. I look forward to seeing everybody next time. Maro, thanks for joining us. Everybody have a fantastic day. Take care.